Yes, we are. Rearranging your video as right before we're going live. Okay, there we go. Hey, that didn't take too long this time. All right. Cool. I see us. There we are. I see Handsome us. as ever. That's right. At least 50%. Welcome to Talking Heads, everyone. Episode 221. Your once weekly live show for the latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Rhett. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or on or in the podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If we've never... Oh, good God. I am off to a roaring start here. If you have never seen the show before, I've seen the show many, many times, at least 220 of them. <laughs> if you've never seen the show before, <laughs> we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. We read all Super Chats on the air so long as they will not permanently demonetize my channel. We do drink alcohol on the show, and if you are drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know it in the chat, and we will give some early show shoutouts as we go along. And last but not least, if you like the content you see on this channel and want to help support us in what we do, consider joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll be able to join the exclusive Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and take part in the awesome community that hangs out over there. Okay, I'm going to end the stream and start over. <laughs> uh, yeah, bye, bye, folks. Or as Skull says, bye, Folsk. <laughs> Nailed him. Uh, what a dork. He typed it wrong. Yeah. Just kidding, Skull. Oh. We love you. Good night. Hey, we got we we do have a, uh, a super chat from our good buddy, Kren. Good eye, Kren. How you doing out there? Good eye to all our friends down under. <laughs> Never gets old, does it? That was a pretty good one. That though. was pretty good. Like, I mean, wow. stereotypically was pretty good. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know how Cran feels about that one. But. Like, well, I'm not hitting the regional dialects. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> got me pluggers on. No wait. Oh, nah, I should have oh, stopped. Oh, I, was ahead. I, I told you to stop. Remember how we <laughs> talked about ending your sentence or your phrases one sentence sooner? <laughs> I couldn't resist saying the word pluggers. Pluggers. So. Uh, there we go. Uh, you're turning into a Twitch streamer. Ah, poggers. I, yeah, there you go. Look at this. Super Chat's rolling in. Yeah. Bars and PWN at, at me. How could you watch The Last Jedi and not tell YouTube about it? Um, that's true. I watched The Last Jedi, and I'm here to tell you all about it. Um, I'm not going to take up the first half of our show with that, though. Oh boy, we're, we're not going <laughs> to spoiler cast this, are, are we? I mean, a lot of people haven't seen The Last Jedi. That's true. That's true. Uh, also, he's drinking wild turkey rare breed rye. Excellent. I do love a good rye, especially wild turkey. It's I do. Also, yeah, man. Wild turkey's great. Yes. Good All stuff. Right. Good stuff. Uh, let's see. Let's get to the best part of the evening. Uh, Rhett, what are you drinking tonight? Okay. Well, I've been sitting on one of these bad boys for a while. I've got a Dragon's Milk Solera. Oh. A delightful beverage that uh, was gifted to me by Jeff many moons ago when we did a four-person uh, stream. You might all remember. Uh, we had show. one of the like, we had one of the Dragon's Milk Reserves, and then we had this. Everybody had the Solera as well, and I saved mine for some reason, like a fool. <laughs> Um, but no longer. That's right. You see, uh, tonight we're celebrating, and I'm going to celebrate with the dragon's milk. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to Rhett. Uh, Rhett just quit his day job. True story. 
Yes, I did. And thanks to all the fine folks super chatting and joining us on uh, the Patreon and over on the Discord. Um, Jeff, uh, you know, gets to bring me on board and I get to hang out with you all all the time now. That's so right. Looking forward to it. Yes. Uh, thanks to the Patreon and thanks to the channel growing. Uh, Rhett is now working for me. Like I am his day job now. Yeah. He makes it sound like buckle you know. up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, uh Rhett is coming on board. Uh he's already been doing a lot of video editing for me over the last what six months or so? Uh six, what seven that? months, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I I've lost I started in twenty twenty. <laughs> did you? I didn't I? Was it that long ago? I don't like March wait, I don't know. No, I think was it was twenty one. March twenty twenty one. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so ten months. Yeah. Whatever. Right before I moved. <laughs> Time is a very abstract thing to me these days. It doesn't exist. Right. It's a fabrication. Right. To keep to keep the uh the proletariat in line. <laughs> Gotta keep the workers clocking in every days morning. Days are just the a system time. of the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh but yeah, so he's going to be on board uh, editing even more videos, helping out with production, possibly doing some writing, uh, doing a lot of uh, a lot of the nitty gritty stuff of business that no one ever sees on YouTube. Like, uh, you know, what do I do on YouTube? Well, I kind of work in advertising by selling ads to people, but the advertising is only like 5% of my job and about 15 to 20% of the communication that has to happen. Uh so that's how I make money, but that's not what I do. What I do is I make videos so you guys will watch so I can sell that ad space. Uh, and also, you know, I have the Patreon, which is fantastic because you guys get to chat with me one-on-one -on -one or 20-on-one -on -one or however many on-one. On it's getting <laughs> weird. Uh, yeah, we just dogpile them over there. Right. So I, I like to hang out there a lot. Uh, I'm over there all the time. Um, and if you at me, you'll probably get a response as long as I'm not sleeping. Although I don't do much of that these days anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's like, what do I do? There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that has to happen to like run a business. And I'm glad to have Red on board to help out. So welcome aboard, sir. Thank you much. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to start with this one right here. Uh, so this is the Double Fruit Oops uh, mm. Sour IPA with Pineapple. Caracara, uh, Orange, Dragon Fruit, and Milk Sugar. 9%. Uh, and this is from... I don't remember the brewer on this one. Oh, brewed by Other Half Brewing. Bloomfield, New York. Nice. Pretty sure this one came over from my Secret Santa. So, thank you, Secret Santa. Whew. That is, uh, oh wow, look at that color. Uh, I guess this very much is uh, taking after Fruit Loops because, man, that's just all like Toucan Sam Beak right there. That actually looks really good. Right. You know, it smells very much like a grapefruit soda. Very much so. 
You know what was really weird though? I looked up and I saw your beer and it made me think of a red beer, you know, mm -hmm. with like tomato juice and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I took a drink of mine and I got that flavor in my mouth. And I'm like, wait a minute, is there something that I missed in this? <laughs> Caramel, toffee, and fig. Yeah. Nothing that should have screamed tomato juice in my mouth just there. So nope. the brain, powerful, <laughs> powerful organ. <laughs> you know, this isn't half bad. Um, it's definitely very tart. Very, very tart. Uh, but grapefruit, maybe cranberry. Like, I know there's no cranberry in here, but it reminds me of cranberry. Uh Super, super dry. Lots of congratulations coming in. Uh, Kren sends yeah. over uh, another couple Aussie bucks. Congrats, Rhett. That'll buy you at least a can of Rainier. Uh, John sends Thank over you. $5. Congrats, Rhett. Howdy from a frozen Texas. Novella Hub. Thank you. Novella Hub sends over $5. Congratulations, Rhett, on the new job and microphone cover. Yeah, everybody's talking about the microphone cover, but if y'all remember, I think last time, I had like a bright yellow one that matched my t-shirt. That's right. And I said, somebody said you should change the color every show. And so I said I would. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to hit the, all the rainbow and maybe keep cycling around. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the mic color should be uh, Bengals orange. Go Bengals. Uh, you know, I know the Bengals franchise has suffered, but there's a player on the other side who suffered 12 years of living in Detroit. Uh and I say that as a Detroit fan, as as a Lions fan for as long as I can remember watching football. If anyone deserves to win the Super Bowl, it's Matthew Stafford. So this is probably the only time in my life I'm going to root for L.A. in anything. Being from Portland, I hate L.A. I hate L.A. everything. Uh, well, California everything, but, you know, that it's rooted in L.A. Uh, you know, growing up a Blazer fan, we don't like the Lakers, you know, <laughs> there's, there's just no, no bones about it. We, we don't like LA. No, they inflate our housing market. They, blah, 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 blah. It's, it's not contained to just sports. Right, right. <laughs> no offense if you're from Los Angeles, but I hate you. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's probably a couple of you who are great. And they're all watching I mean, statistic statistically, there's got to be quite a few, right? Right. It's a big right. place. Right. So, well, we'll give you all that concession, but uh, yeah, yeah. L.A. is just the opposite of Portland and the Pacific Northwest in many ways. But we do have West Coast solidarity, so it's true. It's true. Give you all that West Coast solidarity. We're in the same time zone. Yep. That's got to count for something. Yep. Nice. Uh, the rest moved to Texas. Uh, actually, to sti yeah, statistically, uh, more uh, Los Angelin Los Angelinos uh, moved to Portland and Seattle than due to, to Texas. Uh, and I think it's because our summers are amazing and they bait them into moving up here <laughs> and then grab a hold of them with eight months of the longest winter you've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, well, it could just be that they don't want to move to where it's hot and sweaty all the time. Bars and own. Uh, can I redact my super chat for the LA talk? <laughs> nope. That's my money now. 
I'm going to go bet $5 on the Blazers over Lakers next time they play. <laughs> That's what I'm doing with that $5. <laughs> or are you suddenly a Clippers fan? I, I forgot. You guys, <laughs> you guys just kind of blow with the breeze. So. <laughs> All right, let's get into some news before I alienate all of my audience. <laughs> uh, starting with uh, PCI Express 5.0. Uh, if there was ever a blip on the radar that was as short as PCI 4.0, it was probably uh, PCI 2.0. Uh, but PCI Express 4.0, on its way out. It's yesterday's news. PCI 5.0. That's that's the way to go. That's That's what all the cool kids are... Are, are going after these days uh and silicon motion uh you probably don't know who they are unless you are into the nitty-gritty of the ins and outs of nvme drives and drive controllers and enterprise storage and all that kind of stuff but silicon motion is one of the uh most prevalent drive controller manufacturers that is they don't manufacture the nand the actual flash memory and chips that go on to SSDs, they manufacture the silicon that controls it and regulates it and makes the NAND actually work. Uh, well, they are starting to greenlight some controllers for PCI Express 5.0 and are on track for enthusiast-grade NVMe drive release uh, in the fourth quarter of 2022. So later this year, you will be getting NVMe 5.0 drives in your PCs, capable of 13 gigabytes per second. <laughs> Let me say that crap again. <laughs> 13 gigabytes per second on an NVMe drive. Yeah, all you people who thought me going 10 gig on my network was overkill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not even. Uh, what's more is apparently uh, their drive controllers are also going to take uh, advantage of some quote-unquote key features of uh, AMD's 7th-gen Raphael processors as well as Intel's 12th-gen Alder Lake. Um, a lot of that probably relating to uh, shared memory cache or just being closer proximity to the, the chip in silicon itself. Uh, also, the lower latency of PCI Express 5.0. So it's... It's a good time to be in data storage. It's a it's a good time to to want faster and faster storage. I don't know what's possibly going to take advantage of this, let alone the overhead required from the CPU CPU to be able to keep up with all that. Uh, but if you are interested in PCI Express 5.0 NVMe later this year, uh, on the enterprise side of things, they are already starting to seed development uh, or. Uh, Gosh, drawing a blank. Uh, qualified sampling. There we go. Qualified sampling uh, of controllers to the enterprise sector for PCI Express 5.0. So those are in the early stages. And enterprise PCIe 5.0 storage will probably come out sometime in early to mid-2023. So next year, we should be hitting the data center with 13 gigs per second on a <laughs> single disk, let alone, like, striped. <laughs> so... Good times, good times. Uh, let's see. Uh, buckle up. Craft Computing is going to top 10 gigabytes. Uh, 
Let's see. Those 400 gigabit and one terabit network connections are sounding pretty good about now. Yep. Uh, craft computing, 40 gig win. Actually, I started looking at 100 gig networking not too long ago. Um, I do have some 40 gig stuff actually here right now. Uh, and hopefully this next month or maybe late this month, maybe late February, I'll be I'll be diving into that finally. But uh, yeah, I do have some 40 gig content planned. Maybe not to the desktop, but as, as far as like backbone stuff between my servers. That's going to be fun. So... Uh, see, Red, it wasn't that long ago you were still on spinning storage. Yeah, I I actually still am in some regards. I have a, a desktop that I'm not on right now that uh, my backup hard drives are all spinning. So, yeah, uh, it's only a matter of time. I just decided those are going to stay in there until they're done. <laughs> I got the important stuff off, but here we are. Yep. <laughs> What else am I going to use those for? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I showed Rhett. He was uh, out in my garage yesterday. And uh, I said, this is the ultimate, uh, ha you know, how it started and how it's going. Because my my first server that I built for this channel is sitting on one of the shelves in my garage <laughs> next to my server rack. <laughs> <laughs> Just collecting dust. Yep. That uh, thing used to work for you, Jeff. Oh, it totally did. That thing more than earned its keep, let me tell you. <laughs> Ooh, definitely a a tart, tart beer. It looks good. It is. The, the flavor is fantastic. Um, I love those sour beers. Ooh, it looks... I, I just topped it back off with what little bit was left in the bottom of the can. Now I'm getting like this huge splash of pineapple in it. My beer is almost gone and it's literally 20 minutes in. That sucks. That That's a problem because that's what, 12 and a half percent? It's only 10%. No, only 10. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. You know, it's just, just a 12 ounce bottle. We're not going crazy here. Rhett loves garages. That's from Steve. Well, Steve would know. Steve would know. Spend many a, spend a lot of time with Steve in garages. Yeah. Well, I think we've all spent a lot of time with Steve in garages. Oh yeah. Yep. If anybody loves a garage, it's Steve. Right. That's usually <laughs> where I find him. <laughs> all right. Uh let's move on. Let's move on to uh Whatever this story is. Uh, Electronic Arts thought oh, yeah. as recently as like four months ago that the future of our industry is NFTs. NFTs are going to be in everything. We're going to mint NFTs and they're going to be collectible and people are going to give us cash for literally no reason. Yeah, that, that sounds like a fantastic business model if your business model is to mint and sell NFTs. If your business model is to sell games, eh? Even if your business yeah. model is to is to mint and sell NFTs, I think you're in seriously troubled waters right now, and you might want to abandon ship in the next couple of weeks. But that's just me. Yeah. Well, this is this is what happens when your board of directors is filled every seat with an accountant 
or an investor or somebody who yeah i mean make games that's what you do right people are mad at you for doing that like people were mad at you for loot boxes two or three years ago <laughs> oh wait, wait wait these aren't loot boxes better yet we just take yeah. your money but we don't even have to give you actual digital goods in return well actually jeff have you even stopped to consider that under our model the artists stand to make just as much money they get a 10 percent cut of every transaction that happens on our platform uh-huh uh-huh uh so the 90 percent is an administrative fee yeah tell me about it dude right the 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 saddest thing this morning was waking up on and scrolling through twitter and seeing how many of like my you know, my friends that are musicians and stuff on Twitter mm -hmm. who have had their stuff hijacked yeah. and minted on OpenSea or wherever the hell they mm -hmm. do it. Um, it's it's a big grift from the top to the bottom. And the people who are going to make their money have really already done it. And now everybody's chasing the fad. Right. And they're literally, I mean, literally, like if you're taking somebody's music and minting it, like, you, you're stealing that. Oh, no, they're going to get a cut. Uh, who's going to guarantee that they get a cut? Right. Because they're not. Like, uh, who was it? I don't know. Th and this is the problem. And everybody's talking about this stuff with games. And you go on Twitter, and it's the funniest stuff ever. People who have literally zero understanding of what it takes to make a game. And they're like, well, actually, just imagine being able to buy a pair of pants. When you're playing Destiny 2, and, and, you then can, you take, and you can wear those pants in every game. You can take those pair of pants to World of Warcraft. It's not that hard. And then when you're done, you can sell it on a third-party marketplace. Yeah, because third-party marketplaces, not even third-party marketplaces, but, you know, marketplaces have always made games better, right? Remember when Counter-Strike Go used to be a fun game? And then all of a sudden, you can't even play without getting killed by some 16-year-old with a $7,000 knife? Uh, I mean, look, that's on me. I'm getting killed by a 16 year old, but still I, like, I, I remember <laughs> it's just like, look, I, I, I used to love, you know, taking my, my crappy loot from the boxes and stuff, playing Dota two and putting them up on the marketplace and making pennies and pennies and pennies, and then taking those accumulated pennies and buying fun little cosmetics for my characters. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, the, the proposal for NFTs is just so far beyond that, the way that people think that they're going to be implemented. And, th and they yeah. talk about it as though it's like foolproof, like they've thought of it from top to bottom. Yeah. It's like, no. Now, in def uh, sorry. No. What? In, in defense? Defense of EA. Oh. Sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, the story. We we should have finished the headline. Yeah, yeah. I I... <laughs> I read the first paragraph like that. Um, so uh, CEO Andrew Wilson of EA claimed last year that NFTs were, quote, the future of our industry. Uh, however, in a quarter three earnings call for 2022, uh, which, by the way, is their fiscal year, which is actually first quarter mid mid review. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, Most people's fiscal year end in July. Right. Uh uh, that he revealed in a in a fiscal review call that uh, the future may not be quite as clean cut as he thought, saying the company is quote not driving hard on them end quote. Uh, 
what he means by that is, well, we saw the backlash that Ubisoft got about a week ago, and we're not going to herald that trumpet anymore. At least not as hard. We're still going to sell NFTs, but, you know, we're not going to... We're not going to shove them down everyone's throats like we did microtransactions because yeah. that worked out so well. Yeah, he goes on in this article and he's comparing NFTs to other technologies that are driven external investors into the industry, mm -hmm. such as 3D and VR. And he said that, quote unquote, collectability yes. built on four key metrics, quality, scarcity, authenticity and perceived value. <laughs> Big emphasis on perceived value yeah. has been an important part of the business for years, long before NFTs. And like, yeah, a hundred percent right. Um, what's what's funny? I agree with them there. I, yeah, I agree with those four points. That that is what intrinsically makes something valuable. Uh, but see, and... that's that's what's that's what's hilarious to me though. And I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, go for it. Like this this is a hilarious thing to me is because like, you know, the idea of the the scarcity that he mentions there and the perceived value, like you used to go and wait in, at, in line at, at GameStop at midnight to buy your thing and you got your like GameStop exclusive DLC add-on item or whatever. Yeah. And people thought that like that's scarcity. Like what's weird to me is the idea like in the digital age when we're reducing scarcity and we are like, we're literally able to propagate valuable you know things digitally infinitely they're like what we ought to do is add artificial scarcity to drive up the perceived value it's like right yeah we're manipulating anyway. our own internal stock market is is what nft scarcity breaks down to right. um and again to to kind of echo wilson's sentiment um scarcity and collectability are very intrinsically related with gaming. Uh, I mean, look at, you know, console game collectors and, and people like LGR, you know, vintage computer collecting and, and, you know, big box games and things like that. Those things are scarce to a certain extent. Uh, you know, I, I'm guilty of collecting things myself. I, I bought a Star Trek keyboard from 1994 because, yeah there weren't many of them made and I found one new in box. How could I go wrong yeah. with that? Uh, and that thing has value to me. Now I won an auction for an absurdly low value on it. Uh, like I, I think I won the auction for $23 and then I had to pay $15 shipping. Um, I would have bid $200 on that. Not that it's worth $200, no, but it was important to me to have that. Um, but see, and then where you break away and where 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 your mindset becomes, I don't know, and, and maybe I'm interrupting you here with the wrong takeaway. But no, like no. yesterday we were talking about, you, you know, because you had the phaser mouse and you were like, this thing is so sick, but it's not usable. It's just not functional. Right. It doesn't. But like, dang, it feels good. <laughs> it's nice. Like and it looks dope. I want to use this. So I'm thinking about taking it apart taking the facade and putting it on an actual optical mouse. Yeah. Like r right then and there, you begin to differ away from some of those types of folks that, you right. Know, who are, you know, mint new in box. No, I, cars right. are meant to be driven. Keyboards right. are meant to be used. Game discs are meant to be put in computers. Like cartridges are meant to be played. Like I, yeah. I, I'm a collector, but I'm not a, like, I ain't no wada games here. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Don't get me started exactly. on that again. Um, <laughs> but uh, going back to scarcity and collectability, those are things in non-digital ecosystems. The problem right. with digital is zeros and ones are not intrinsically unique. They are not inherently unique. They can be duplicated. And the duplicate is identical to the thing that was copied. It's it's not a reproduction. It's not the zeros and ones don't change from one thing to another. Right? And that's the beauty of it. And that's what's hilarious. Right. And look, the only pitch I've ever heard for NFTs that sounds reasonable to me. I think I've me, said intrinsically I, four times now. I'll, I'm going to stop using that word. Drink, drink, drink. drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, somebody get out your clickers. <laughs> Take a shot every time he says intrinsically for the rest of the show. Ooh. The the only pitch for NFTs that I've heard that sounds like a great idea, and I don't know enough about it to know how it would work or what, but a buddy said to me, he goes, well, you know, the way the way this works, I could almost see it being implemented to try to end uh, robo scalping of concert tickets, of graphics cards. Yeah. I don't know how, um, but this is one of the things that... Uh, that I've heard a couple people talk about, and if it could be implemented that way, great. What a what a good use of this technology right. that's really bad. Um, <laughs> At least some good came of the blockchain. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like I don't know, you know, it's like I I can't even think of a bad invention. All of a sudden, it's like ooh. Um, but yeah, anyway, you know, you you use it to end robo scalping. I'm all there for it. Right. But to steal people's artwork or to steal and to talk about using them for game cosmetics i know anyway luckily ea they probably got dunked on super hard i bet you they lost a few points uh on the stock market and really had to look closely at the things that they were saying because they realized hey we talk about these things nobody likes and we lose money can't have that so let's not talk about them and do them all secretly yeah i don't know if that's true but um you find everybody like, man, uh, everybody has slipped up with uh, with NFTs in some way. Neil Gaiman, man, one of my favorite authors the other day, he's all like, yeah, we're doing a charity uh, and we're going to do an NFT charity. And everybody's like, Neil, how much money do we have to raise for your charity for you to not do this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you $20 to F off. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's the problem is there's no such thing as scarcity in the digital age. Uh, the last game I stood in line at midnight for was Grand Theft Auto 4. And I know we've only had one more Grand Theft Auto since then, but that really was a long time ago. <laughs> Even the last Grand Theft Auto was a long time ago. Right. That was like almost 10 years ago, Grand Theft Auto 5 came out, yes, right? It was. Like, yes, it Almost was. now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Skyrim is 11 years old. Yeah, I waited in line at midnight with my friend while he bought Skyrim, and then he brought it home, and I found a Russian crack for it that night. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't even know if I needed the Russian crack. I don't remember. I did end up buying it, but I was making $7.35 an hour back then, so... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to have to. Hey, that's you know, about work. what I'm paying you now. So, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, guys. Please send help. 
American Cosworth asked me in uh, the last super chat when I'm unionizing. So I, th- I, I think I'm going to have to begin negotiating now. I think I'm going to talk to the other. Well, it's just me. So I'm going to start yeah. filing the paperwork and yeah. we'll see. I'm going to, sh- I'm going to wake up in the morning and he's picketing outside my front door. <laughs> you know, I have two doors, right? I'm just going to go out the back. <laughs> Any scabs willing to cross that picket line, um, <laughs> you can make as much as $6 an hour. <laughs> Pay the scabs even less than me. <laughs> Someone's out there willing to do it. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a true scab right there. If they're willing to even take less than me. Oh, my God. Anyway, the rest of American Cosworth, $5. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks to Jeff. I apparently have started collecting obscure server cards and enterprise GPUs. <laughs> That is also a hobby of mine. Talk about scarcity, though. Right. Uh, well, I've I've also started collecting some some obscure PC components. Um, like uh, I picked up a an NVIDIA PCI card, not PCI Express, not AGP, but a PCI card that is a dual NV four hundred or dual NV forty. Um, it has 64 megabytes of memory per GPU. They cannot be SLI'd together because SLI as a technology was still owned by 3DFX. This predates the 3DFX takeover of NVIDIA. It was simply two GPUs on a single board with two video outputs. And that was all you could do with it. <laughs> it was like 20 bucks. It was a great deal on it. Uh, new- there was another super yeah. chat, by the way, that we missed. Um did we? From Harley McClear, Untitled Art Tripleberry Hazelnut Smoothie Stout. Those are a lot of words that I've never heard together. Yeah. Hazelnut Un- Smoothie Stout. Untitled Art must be the brewery. Probably the brewery. Right? Either that or you blend it up an NFT to go along with it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I often, uh, honestly, I am a huge fan of stouts like stouts are my my one true love in beers like i love ipas i i will take a stout over an ipa any day though um the berry stouts the the soured stouts those are usually stouts that have gone bad that they need to sell the entire batch from uh they're not usually things that i gravitate towards because i've had so many bad experiences of like oh let's just call it a sour no, that's a funk. There's a difference. <laughs> You're right. That's when you call it a farmhouse sale. <laughs> right. Dude, Mike Jones says something here. This this is trippy. Mike Jones, right under American Cosworth Super Chat, he says, technically everything is saved, recorded. The light bouncing off you is not lost and recorded your every action and is traveling in space. It is way too early in the show for that kind of talk. I like that. That's something my friend Lee would say. <laughs> uh, Untitled Art is a brewery, by the way. So, yes. Anyway, in, uh, let's, let's jump on to the next gaming-related money thing. Yeah. A lot of financials in, in this show. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Gaming's a multi-billion dollar industry. That's right. Uh, so Microsoft announced last week that they were going to be, uh, purchasing slash acquiring Activision Blizzard. Uh, well, that's just hit a little bit of a snag. 
and we'll see if that ends up going through, although we're still not going to know for probably at least six months to maybe a year or more if this transaction will actually happen. Because, kind of as expected, this is getting some eyes from U.S. regulators. Uh, but in particular, the FTC has said they are going to spearhead this investigation uh, and f determine whether or not it is a fair business practice and uh, guard against monopolies within the technology sector and uh, in the trade sector. And they are more than apt to do that. Uh, there's one thing in, in particular that might uh, throw a little bit of a wrench into this. And that is uh, uh, the person in charge of heading this up is Lana Kane. No, sorry, Lena Khan, uh, inverse of Lana Kane. Uh, dang it right, you're supposed to laugh at that joke. Uh, no. <laughs> so. <laughs> you don't pay me enough. <laughs> right, right, sorry. Uh, so yeah, the FTC, and the uh, Justice Department both have jurisdiction over uh, business acquisitions and business practices like this. And neither one of them can take the lead or take on the case of should this be allowed. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, they don't compete in enough spaces or, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, other times this can go into long drawn out legal battles or even be straight up denied where you're not allowed to purchase this because you're too large of a company or you are eating up too much of the market. Right. Uh, and given that Activision Blizzard was the largest independent game producer uh, next to EA, Sony, and Microsoft already, uh, this one might be seen with uh, a little bit more scrutiny. Even more so, uh, Lena Khan is... A, an outspoken opponent of monopolies. Uh, she very much dislikes them and is uh, very much not in favor of, of companies and conglomerates becoming even larger companies and conglomerates. So this one might be a little difficult uh, for Microsoft to actually pull off in the end. Yeah, I think so. And And honestly, you know, I, I, I kind of hope so. Um, not because, um, you know, not because I want to see Microsoft crash and burn. Uh, no, but like you said, when you begin to have all of these companies merge under the same umbrella, it de begins to diminish consumer choice. Yes. Um, and, and that's the thing that, you know, all of us as consumers should be worried about. And Microsoft in general has made like the last 10 years has done a lot to sort of, um, I don't know, like bolster their image, especially when it comes to games mm -hmm. and gaming, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, and if anybody can use some rehabilitation, it's, uh, it's Activision Blizzard right now. And, um, can, can Sony buy Ubisoft? Like, can we, can we make that happen? <laughs> But yeah, so who knows? I, I kind of hope just to see, I you know, I do hope personally to see regulators take a, a, a stronger stance against big tech companies. Mm -hmm. That's not really been the case for a long time. And last time Microsoft faced like an antitrust uh, review, like they lost, but then 
you know, governing bodies switched hands and moved around and no enforcement was ever pursued. Um, which who knows if that was good or bad for the consumers. It's, you know, it was nearly 20 something years ago at this point, 25 years ago. But yeah, uh, time will see what happens with this. I like watching it unfold personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly, I'm, I'm intrigued by this as well. Uh, more so for, because Microsoft has built up quite a bit of goodwill in in the last couple of years and i've i've talked about that as much on this show with microsoft being very open to uh multi-platform releases and uh you know that what they've done with xbox game pass uh you know holding sony's feet to the fire to make make gaming a better deal uh their deal on the xbox one uh, s if you can you know series s if you can find one for 299 you can finance it for essentially the price of the console and you get Xbox Game Pass on top of that. It's like $25 a month and you pay it off in a year. Right, and yeah. yeah. There's no better deal in gaming. There really isn't. Now, of course, you have to find one. I'm sorry. Yeah, but... I was going to say, because I, I remember trying to find uh, one of those and just couldn't ever, like they were constantly sold out or I don't know what it was. Maybe I'm talking out my butt. Yeah, the Series X is always sold out. PS5 is always sold out. Uh, Series yeah. S is also like they're like, yeah, I guess I don't need 4K right now. I'll just yeah. keep 1080. Well, I, I tried to jump on their like Games Pass deal and just like I I, I don't know what I, obstacles I ran into. Anyway, not to derail you, <laughs> <laughs> but Microsoft as a company as a whole um, has also been very open to releasing products on open source and and opening up their both their platform and releasing their software on other platforms lately um, right. outside of just like microsoft office and office 365 i mean they they all of a sudden started using chromium as the base for microsoft edge uh, right. instead of trying to compete or you know create their own internal product that was just friendly for their own services they're like why not use Chrome? Because Chrome's a good browser. We can tie our own services into it, but it's not going to detract from other services available on Chrome natively. Uh, I see that as a win. Uh, they released .NET for Linux. You can compile .NET on Linux now. You can also compile .NET in Windows subsystem for Linux on a Windows PC using a, a Linux kernel. Like, they have done so much good for branching out to multiple different platforms that I'm really intrigued by this Activision Blizzard deal, uh, given how narrow-focused Activision Blizzard seemed to be on, and all companies are, let's make as much money for our stockholders as possible because that is the end goal of, of any business. But at the expense of their fan bases and the people that got them there. It's the same yeah. kind of thing on, uh, I was talking about with me earlier, like, I work in advertising in the fact that I sell advertisements and advertising space. Those advertisements are not what got me here. Uh, what got me here is making content for you fine folks. And if Activision Blizzard would make content that you fine folks would like to purchase, they would probably do just as well instead of trying to take these shortcuts like selling NFTs and microtransactions and loot boxes and every, you know, you know, taking advantage of the whales who will happily 
you know, blow $3,000 on Overwatch or whatever the flavor of the month is and $150 on a season pass for Call of Duty every six months. Like, instead of just trying to make every single aspect of your thing monetized, why don't you just put out a good product? Because it's still going to sell. So, I'm curious. I'm curious to see if this transaction will even go through. And if it doesn't go through, what are the ramifications ramifications for uh, Activision Blizzard after that, after this acquisition failure? I mean, that's that's another thing to keep a strong eye on. So, interesting, interesting stuff. Uh, you know what else is interesting? Today's sponsor. Today's episode of Talking Heads, obviously, is brought to you by Linode because they are fantastic. If you've ever needed to host your own servers, whether it be for home or business use, but don't have the time or resources to invest into hardware, cooling, space, or anything else, and of course my notes just went away, so I'm going to have to spitball the rest of this, why not let Linode host them for you? If I'd hosted my notes on Linode, uh, that'd probably be easier. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> I'm serious, Google Drive just signed me out, so I, I can't read my sponsor spot. <laughs> Uh, they make it simple to deploy and manage your own cloud services with solutions ranging from a single shared CPU to massive multi-core virtual machines. They even offer, offer dedicated uh, graphics like RTX 6000 cards for machine learning or, um, or cloud rendering. Good Lord, I hope they're not paying for the sponsor spot. <laughs> of course they are. This is what everybody watches this for. This is what everyone they, watches for. Is, is They don't want to see you be that successful. I know. Gosh. Between this and the intro, I... I I'm just gonna walk away. Let me One see if I can days. let me see if I can get signed back in here. Hold on. I uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I used to have the sponsor spot in front of me. I could have picked it up for you. But... I know. I know. Jeff is one of these guys. He likes to have his grip on everything. He won't let me run free they make it easy to deploy and manage your own cloud services with solutions ranging from a single shared cpu to massive multi-core virtual machines they even offer dedicated rtx 6000 gpus for machine learning they also recently started rolling out nvme storage nvme block storage to all 11 of their global data centers best of all that solution is going to remain at the same low price it always has been Visit Linode.com slash craft computing to get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account and get your home lab or business cloud started today. That's Linode.com slash craft computing. And thank you to Linode for forgiving uh, my current cloud provider. <laughs> By the way, I never did get signed in, so. <laughs> wow, it's a real bummer. Yeah. I think you're going to need a hard copy of that. Probably. I'll just tape it up on the wall right next to me. <laughs> well, interestingly enough... Um... Tell you what, Linode, I'll do a second read later in the show, because that one was awful. That's m yeah. it's my gift to you. On the house. On the house. Um... It's like a radio announcer stumbling over a mattress ad. <laughs> What what story were we just doing? The Activision Blizzard uh, right. takeover being looked at by well, the FTC. Interestingly enough, Jeff, there's another acquisition yes. that's going to be subject to government approval. 
Yep. Much smaller deal. This one's going to be handled by the interns. Let's let's be real. Yeah. I mean, it's only three point six billion dollars. Right. That's chump change uh, as compared a, to the... as opposed to the sixty nine billion dollars. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Um, but Sony is buying Bungie. And this deal is kind of interesting because, you know, obviously, I don't think it's it's one of these things that's not set in stone. And, and actually, right at the top, they say they've entered into definitive talks. Right. Uh, which apparently to... Uh, the knowledgeable folks means that it's definitely happening. Right. It's um, essentially to zero in on the stock price that they're going to pay. Right. You know. Right. But the goal of course, is to let Bungie keep their independence. Um, but what's really interesting is all the news that people are putting together makes it sound as though one of Bungie's real interests is branching out of games. It sounds like they're really interested in looking at becoming like a multimedia company which I think with like Sony's support could be like a really interesting and cool, um, you know, idea. Like, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't think Bungie owns Halo anymore necessarily. Me and Jeff were trying to piece this together. I should have just looked it up. But anyway, the, the Halo trailer looks dope. So imagine like Bungie put like getting the money and the resource together to do like a destiny TV show or something like that. That could be kind of neat. Um, in fact, yeah, I think it was the CEO of Bungie himself said that, yeah, they want to become a global me- multimedia entertainment company. Well, everyone does. Um, right. I mean, that's, well, that's my knows? goal. It could be kind of interesting. Like, Bungie hasn't really whiffed that often, and I'm not sitting here rooting for a multi-billion dollar company. You'll never see me do that. But yeah. it could be interesting. I don't know. Um, Come on, Rhett. Won't thing, you think though. of the little guys over at Bungie? Yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah. I mean, I hey, you know what? All of the all of the grunt workers over there, y'all got my uh, undivided support. But yeah, it doesn't sound like that Sony really wants to interrupt what they're doing. They don't plan on making Bungie titles exclusive. Um, you know, I don't think that they want to just make every Bungie game like a PlayStation exclusive title. Right. Um, which at this point, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it sells you more consoles, but at the same time, consoles aren't where they make their money right you know services and games are right so who knows another another interesting deal that uh that could happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we'll see time will tell 3.6 billion dollars yep maybe we'll see a destiny tv show announced (laughs) in the next several years and then destiny 2 that everyone will hate because it wasn't destiny 1 yeah naturally Right. And then Destiny 3, the movie, will come out and everybody will be like, wow, I can't believe that they brought back the first director to do that again. It right. just did this Destiny is just a rehash of Destiny 1. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to know about Halo. What does that mean for Halo? Uh, Bungie, while they were the original studio that was contracted to produce Halo. Halo is owned by 343, which is owned by Microsoft. Um, There you go. And so Microsoft, while they have used Bungie in the past, they own all rights for production of Halo. There you go. That is internal. That is is an internal thing. So, yeah, owned and published by Microsoft Game Studios. Exactly. 
There you go. Have you guys seen that the trailer for the Halo show though? Like it looks pretty good, right? Like I'm kind of excited for that. You know, uh, I I had some trepidation going in. I'm act I'm actually a little excited to see it now. It doesn't look that bad. Like no. and uh what's cool, I don't know. This is the thing. Like I I I loved um halo one and two came out at like the prime time for my young brain to just soak in all the science fiction and i read as many books as i could get my hands on and i actually kind of liked the the novelizations of some of like the halo extended mm -hmm. universe stuff yeah. uh especially the fall of reach like that book just stuck with me <laughs> and uh so yeah, getting a TV show that kind of touches base on some of these things that I read about and some of the early Halo concepts, like I hear it's being written exciting. by Ryan Johnson. Like that could be pretty cool. Okay, I doubt that it is, but it would be cool, <laughs> dude. Ryan Johnson's the shit, man. We've all seen Looper, Knives Out, and his masterpiece, The Last Jedi. Oh, Bring us full circle to where we started. Today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking though of like Halos though, like mm -hmm. is everybody up to speed on Boba Fett? Because I I, I haven't watched today's. I, I have not. Okay, watched that's today's. fine though. Yeah. But I have I have audio evidence that you watched the episode I'm talking about. Okay. With the ring planet thing. Oh yeah. yeah well, that was dope, right? That was that, dope. that was like when I saw that, I was thinking to myself, this is one of the coolest Star Wars set pieces ever. Yeah. It looked so cool. The fact he's walking around, he's going to the bar, he's doing this. Then he wants to go to the substrata. Yeah. All this, like, so cool. Yep. Yeah, no, the fact that that's now Star Wars canon just makes me happy. That was dope. Yeah. Yeah, I was I, editing I, this I video. I love the, the day-night transitions that they did. Yeah, that, that was, was so, cool. so sick. It looked epic, man. And I'm sitting, there I'm sitting there editing this video for Jeff, and I'm like, what is that sound? And I was like, Yo, is that the beginning of that Boba Fett episode? <laughs> and then, of course, I fast forward through some of the cuts, you know. Yeah. This dude is filming B-roll, and he's got Boba Fett on the background. Yep. Good for you. Yep. Made my day. <laughs> I was glad you could watch it. <laughs> probably, like, you know, for the most part, like, uninterrupted, too. You probably had the door closed. That was great. Yeah. Was wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, the sound design though so recognizable that the first five minutes of that episode, I could tell you're watching Boba Fett. Yep. So. <laughs> yep. No. Uh, what did you think of episode five of of essentially uh, the uh, Mandalorian season season two episode eleven? Like, what what did you yeah. think of Boba Fett episode five? I thought it was dope. I thought dude. it was. Wonderful. I thought it was dope. Yeah. It was like people kind of knocked on it for like, well, I want more Boba Fett and all this sort of stuff. But like, you know, I don't, the, all the TV shows I love, like they have this laser focus on story or plot or whatever, but they always have like a couple episodes where it's like just a day in the life, the character's chilling. Right. And on one hand, it would have been nice to have that for Boba. And, you know, obviously full spoiler alert, if you guys haven't watched this, like, Boba Fett episode five is exclusively the Mandalorian. Right. Boba's um, not in his own show. No, which, <laughs> uh, but I thought it was great, man. The opening yeah. fight, the dark saber, yeah. getting to talk about the death watch 
Mandalorians. Getting, getting to a watch little... some of the spoiler, spoiler. Getting to watch some of the decimation of Mandalore. Dude, Dude, that was so sick. Dude. Terminator 2 Judgment Day status right yeah. there, man. T T2 Judgment Day with TIE Bombers. Like, holy crap, what a scene that was. And then to find out that the episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, man. Like, she has done some great TV. Yes. She's just nailing it. Yep. Um, the, the return of the N1 Starfighter, handcrafted for the uh, Naboo Royal Guard. See, I thought that was so sick. And to me, like, this is my favorite. I tweeted about this a little bit, but like one of my favorite things about Star Wars is that like a thing can be on screen and before you know it, it has an entire backstory. It has a toy line. All of the all of the bounty hunters from Empire are proof of this. IG-88. Boba Fett has his own TV show Bo- and all he basically Boba said was, Fett had like wish. Boba Fett had like 12 lines in the entire yeah. original trilogy. Okay. Yeah. He has three seasons of a TV show because of the lore that was written about him. Right, exactly. Jeans guy in the Mandalorian. Blue jeans guy yeah. has a toy. <laughs> Blue jeans guy. Okay. Now, the stupid stick that they stop the trash compactor mm-hmm. with. In the you'd be amazed what the Star Empire throws Wars. away. <laughs> What was it? It was a, uh, it was a combustion a, reaction chamber or something like, yeah. Uh, God, what's the word for coal? You know, the freezing thing. That yeah. Cryo. Cry, cryogenic combustion. Yeah. They, ah, damn yeah. It. Uh, anyway, it was a stupid forward thing. Yeah. But, but um, now it's, it's part of the, the reaction that powers his Nabooian N1 starfighter. And and it's sitting right alongside the tail section. Yes. Um, so <laughs> so Phil from uh, uh, Jace Two Cents, uh, Felicious over on Twitter, he goes, "The custom car guy and me absolutely freaked the f out yeah. uh, o- over Boba Fett episode five. Go watch Boba Fett episode five and tell me you don't get hard watching that." Uh, <laughs> sorry for the graphic, but. Uh, that was such a great episode and what they did with the Naboo starfighter, I think is quintessential star Wars because you make do with what you have. Here he is on Tatooine. He doesn't have the razor crest anymore. He needs a new ship. You know what? I have this old N one. Let's see if we can rebuild it. Let's customize it. Let's let's, you know, throw this thing on here. Hey, it's exempt from regulations or it's smog exempt because it's pre 1980 or sorry, pre empire. Uh, yeah. Which, 1980 uh yeah but see one of the cool things too is he he's so cheesily says it but he's like wizard you know like wizard yeah what a great callback yeah to like anakin jumping out of the yeah the pot yeah the pod racer whatever like right it was from the pod racer i think yeah anyway could be wrong but regardless anakin says it in the phantom menace and that's one of the things that I've been loving about some of the new Star Wars is it takes some of the things that like rubbed people the wrong way and it makes them cool and fresh. Right. Like when the Mandalorian says wizard yeah. about a starship that like you may or may not like because of its association with a movie that you may or may not right. like. Like that is so cool. And that was that was one of my favorite things about the last Jedi was when Luke is like, what do you expect me to go out there with my laser sword? 
<laughs> like, dude, some people tell me they audibly groaned about that, but like, motherfucker, Luke Skywalker. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Luke Skywalker is going out there and uh, is calling it a laser sword. It's a laser sword, dude. If the Mandalorian is going to say wizard, that's a wizard word, right. man. Uh, I will say the least of the prequel trilogy's problems were in the visual art uh, area. Uh, like, as, as much as we, as Star Wars fans, moan and groan about the storytelling, the dialogue, the... the or Jar Jar Binks. Or Jar Jar Binks, or, or the three-episode-long political drama. Like, if I wanted that, I'd go watch The West Wing. Like... Or Game of Thrones. Or, right. <laughs> as much as everyone complains about that from the prequels... The visuals and the visuals, for the most part, still hold up today. Uh, even though half of it was shot on a green screen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, there, I, I, there are the some weakest... aspects of it that are absolutely like the pod race scene. The gorgeous, the yeah, the the pod race scene is incredible. Uh, the the entirety of Coruscant, whenever they're on planet, just looks spectacular. It's almost too busy. But it, it has this realism about it that is just fantastic. So great. Uh, the the entire the the landscape of of Naboo. The uh, gorgeous. I, I will say the Gungan city doesn't quite hold up. Yeah, you know, and and some of those like pure CGI scenes, right. especially when they're dealing with a lot of characters that are CGI. But in, what's weird is the Phantom Menace holds up visually much better than Attack of the Clones. Yes. Which Attack of the Clones is probably the weakest, easily the weakest of the prequels. Yes. Um, but it was interesting to me to see how weak it was because then you go to Revenge of the Sith, which is markedly better than Attack of the Clones. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't know why that is or what it like. Attack was sort of in that weird era where everybody wanted to do everything with CGI yeah. and like didn't like Shrek come out around Attack of the Clones or like they're about like I was just watching Shrek earlier and I was thinking to myself All right, this looked amazing back in the day and it has references to like you know the Matrix Reloaded and stuff 2002 so. yes wow <laughs> and Shrek came out 2001 yeah yep. <laughs> yeah man they were almost uh, exactly a year apart april 2001 may 2002 wow because yeah, yeah episode man. one i want to say came out late 99 i think it was even a little bit earlier than that uh let's see phantom menace may 19th 1999 wow and then I remember it being months... pre two thousand. I remember it being pre two. Yeah, it was. It was definitely in the nineties because um, ninety seven. The original trilogy got the remaster re and the re release in theaters and whatnot. I remember yeah. going to all those. I, I went. Yeah, I went and saw yeah. um, Return of the Jedi, which was the only of the original of the original series that I saw in theaters. Um, I I was sick. I was sick. <laughs> And my, we were driving past the Lancaster Mall, and my dad was like, "Do you want to see that movie?" It's like, "Yeah." We waited in line. Yeah. 
the net guy sends over ten dollars. Uh, thank you very much. Since you probably both got demonetized tonight, here's some hard cash for your Monday through Friday show, or for your M uh, for your M <laughs> Monday through Friday show, as uh, the clean Samuel L. Jackson would probably say. Yeah. Uh, I I feel dirty. <laughs> I agree with Rhett about the new Halo series. <laughs> And My then, opinions aren't all bad, net guy. <laughs> Some of them are good. Right. Uh, Andrew sends over $20, uh, the mysterious green stranger. Uh, My dad tested a 10-second car one time outside his engine shop, and the police showed up. They were nice and said, don't do it again. The entire N1 Starfighter scene reminded me of my father in his shop working on muscle cars. Right. It totally had that, great... had that chopper, you know strip every strip everything for weight that we can kind of feel to it um and uh yeah i i loved that entire scene i loved everything about it yeah me too um and that's that's what's so cool about some of these these episodes and as much as the episode of boba fett with the you know, the biker gang the, or whatever gets gang. knocked. Yeah. The swift gang. I love gang. that too. It was dope. Right. What is like, okay. I like, I will grant everybody that the chase scene was like, it looked kind of silly. Yeah. But that's it, man. I've been watching decades of silly looking TV. I'm not going to dock points from Boba Fett when I've watched Babylon five or Star Trek, the next generation or Firefly or any of these other space shows that looks looked and still look kind of silly sometimes. Ooh, Stargate. Yes, even that. Oh, like, st don't get me wrong. Stargate is a wonderful show, but the effects do not hold up to modern. It scrutiny. looks silly, man. But we're science fiction fans. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Sometimes we got to deal with silly. Uh, I was talking to my wife earlier this week about uh some people hating on boba fett and and they're like they ruined a, a great character and let me remind you that boba fett's shining moment in cinema was being hit in the back by han solo with some weird axe thing while he's trying to save lando he flies into Jabba's sail barge and gets eaten by the sarlacc like that was the demise of the great mandalore and yeah so he wasn't a great character he, he was dark and intimidating in Empire Strikes Back, and then we see him loading him on to Slave One at the uh, end of it for Cloud City. But he was just this brooding bounty hunter. That's all we knew about him. Yeah. So he didn't he didn't catch any life until the toys until. Yeah. But but yeah, you know, and then even the books, you know, did did some good for him. Like I remember reading the original Han Solo trilogy. And Han Solo, when he when he uh, he eventually abandons um, some spice for Jabba between books, you don't even read about it, right. and that's how he gets a price on his head from Jabba. Right. And Jabba sends Boba Fett after him, yeah. and him and Chewie fight Boba. It's this epic scene. It's crazy. He manages to like outmaneuver him and try to throw him off a little bit, um, and then he goes off and fights 
strangely enough, I'm pretty sure that the writers of Rogue One took the Battle of Scarif at the end. That feels remarkably similar to the final book of the Han Solo trilogy in which um, his girlfriend is in the rebellion and they go and fight on like a tropical sand planet. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yep. There there were definitely there feels like there's some influences there. Well, I think it's great. That's one of my favorite things. I, I wasn't sure when when Disney declared the extended universe like non-canon. Right. I wasn't sure what that would mean. But then the more they go on, I think it's really cool that they take the good stuff yeah. and they repurpose it. And they honestly, they've mostly made it better in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um you know, like the like Rogue One being kind of an example of that, like where they took this battle that was in this book, maybe. Um, I don't know. There's lots of other examples, but I, I can't. Yeah, think th- there's been head. a dozen things written about how the Death Star plans were were retrieved, uh, even right. in video game form with Dark Forces. That's mission one yeah. in Dark Forces uh, yeah. is you stealing the Death Star plans by infiltrating in an Imperial base and getting out alive yeah. with them on on uh the crow so yeah uh but as i as i told my wife because like i I was venting to her about all the star wars fans complaining uh it's no one hates star wars more than star wars fans and she goes do you mean star trek and i said no i mean star wars fans they hate everything about star wars they nitpick it to death to the point where you can't enjoy it anymore yeah it drives me nuts it's pretty tough. I said that earlier in the Talking Heads Discord where I was like, no, I'm one of the rare Star Wars fans that likes more movies than I dislike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over 50%. Like, I I thought it was a genius, uh, genius comment. Nobody nobody agreed with me necessarily. I think that's hilarious. That's all right. Um, and I don't think you're wrong. No, it's just one of those things. It's like, and then somebody said it, uh, uh, Lorisi said it, that it was, uh, it's like, well, I love Star Wars, but I can't say that I'm a fan because they're so bad. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, anyway, you know what's not bad? Today's video sponsor, Linode. And this is the first time I'm reading this. Uh, today's episode of Talking Heads is brought to you by Linode. If you've ever needed to host your own servers, whether it be for home or business use, but don't have the resources or time to invest into hardware, power, cooling, or even space, why not let Linode host them for you? If it runs on Linux, it will run on Linode. That includes the software for most of the tutorials on my channel, like how to run your own ad-blocking recursive DNS server, VPN gateway, your own cloud-based Plex server, and more. With shared CPU plans starting at as little as $5 per month and scaling up to as high as you need to go, you'll be able to find a hosting plan that fits your needs. Even if you do host your own servers, you can use Linode to keep a backup off-site. Because remember, RAID is not a backup. Linode also recently announced they are the first alternative cloud provider to have NVMe block storage available to all customers. In September, they began rolling out NVMe drives to all 11 of their global data centers. Best of all, storage rates will remain at the same low price they always have been. Visit linode.com slash craftcomputing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. That's linode.com slash craftcomputing. And again, a huge thanks to Linode for putting up with me. Nice. Thank you, Linode. Well done. You did it. I did it. I did it wizard um sorry i was trying to look up one of the star wars books 
But while you're doing that, I'm going to open my second beer because I just recently oh. finished my first one. Yeah, I did that too. Um, yeah, I, I didn't open up anything fancy, so I didn't uh, see the need to <laughs> describe it. But I opened a pub beer. Oh, there you go. Uh, by 10 Barrel. Um, it's really good. 5%. Just cheap, easy drinking lager. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of going easy drinking on my second one as well. I've got a Ratchet Brewing Moto Floozy. It is a Blondale Ooh. clocking in at 5.7%. Uh, I love Ratchet Brewing. You know Ratchet Brewing. You know Jan- you know Dan and Julie. Oh, yeah. They're uh, big, big breweries right in my... Way over there right. in uh, Silverton, Oregon. Oh, yeah. They are some fun people to hang out with. Heck yeah. Um, so uh, somebody was asking me, and I was typing out the answer, but anyway, uh, I think it was uh, Bars and Pone. Uh, he asked, you know, how do I know if they reference the EU or not? You know, there's so much. Could have just been monkeys on typewriters. And I said, I don't know. It's, it's uh, There's just a lot of coincidences or whatever. And I was going to describe how like I, I did mention how Ray kind of looks like Bastila from KOTOR. Uh, but then beyond yeah. that, the, like one of the things that most people really hate is like kind of the final showdown of the last Jedi when Luke shows up and kind of squares off with Kylo Ren. Um, there is a book and I think it was called, um, I think it was called fate of the Jedi and maybe not though maybe that's anyway regardless in it uh there's two solo children jason and jaina and jason goes off to become darth crate mm-hmm. uh and he is trying to unite the remnants of the empire and that's han solo and leia's son yep. and luke goes and fights him as like a projection as like a force projection hologram thing and it's like this epic scene in the books and nobody who read it was like this is stupid um and so that's like just another example of something that i think that they took that was cool in the books and sort of like repurposed it yes for i will say the 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 luke projection scene was freaking awesome i don't hate the last jedi i don't i don't hate the force awakens how could you i don't it's amazing both of those are good movies. i hate the third one I, I hate the third one the Rise is of Skywalker. I, I hate garbage. everything about it. So bad. Look, we, we're going to rehash this conversation every single time I'm on because people love to make me talk about Star Wars. Rise sucks. It's so bad. Yeah. And all you have to do to realize that it's bad is the fact that Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber comes back without a single explanation as to why. Right. It explodes in The Last Jedi. Its explosion causes people to like become unconscious. Yep. It literally dictates the plot of the movie and it just magically comes back. And then they all use it one by one to defeat Emperor Palpatine, who for some reason is back. Um, stupid hot, right. hot dog garbage. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's just kind of it's interesting. It's cool how they repurpose those those things and, yeah. and bring them back. I mean, honestly, even the emperor coming back that that's eu that's from the book yeah. you know who kills him though in the extended universe han solo baby 
right? Uh, Luke Skywalker falls to the dark side and becomes uh, Emperor Palpatine's apprentice. And Han Solo goes, caps him, shoots him right in the head. Yep. Um, Didn't see that so one coming. You, yeah. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Han Solo, the true hero. All right. Let's go ahead and move on from the Star Trek talk. This is totally the wrong border for that. I'm going to have to create like a Star Wars border for you. <laughs> I don't even know what that looked like. I mean, we could get into Star Trek. It's a little weird to me that like Star Trek fans don't like Discovery because I think Discovery is kind of cool. <laughs> My <laughs> Don't. I'm not even trolling don't. though. Like it's kind of fine. I, I understand where you're coming from, but you're also baiting me into a conversation. And I'm not going to fall for it because we have more news to get to. No, Maybe get at to the, the end you can rebate me. Yeah, we'll okay. see. <laughs> Speaking of Morrowind as the worst game ever made. Uh... Speaking of bait. <laughs> <laughs> I know your buttons too, man. Uh, so for those of you who are tinkerers or home labbers, but maybe don't have the money for entire racks of servers or whatever else. The Raspberry Pi has always been a fantastic alternative. Uh, I have a number of them here at home. Uh, I run a number of them for different things. I've got a I've got a retro arch or a retro pie box. Uh, I've got uh, uh, a an octoprint server for my 3D printers. Uh, and and it runs great. And the Raspberry Pi is a fantastic tool for those types of things. I also use one as a remote client for one of my cloud gaming rigs, uh, and it works fantastic. I've got a Raspberry Pi 400 set up for that. Um, but has anyone else noticed it's been really tough to get a hold of them lately? Uh, well, you're kind of not alone. Uh, so Jeff Gearling, you all know Jeff Gearling. You should know Jeff Gearling. Uh, if you don't know Jeff Gearling, go subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, has been informed of a new website called the RPI Locator. And what this is, is an aggregate site that scans the inventory of all Raspberry Pi official uh, retailers and sees if there is stock available. This is for the Raspberry Pi 4 Model B. This is for the Compute Module 4, the Raspberry Pi 0 W2, uh, and the Raspberry Pico. Uh, and calculates everything. Every single model that they have, all 35 different models of the, the Compute Module from the one gigabyte with no internal storage to the eight gigabyte with 64 gigs of MMC and, and so on and so forth to the multiple variants of the Pi 4. It's all there from just about every country they sell them in. And uh, it's kind of sparse out there. There's not there's not a lot out in Pyland. Uh, they seem to be running in the same into the same silicon shortage that we all are for every other industry, whether it's GPU, CPU, motherboard, car, automotive, infotainment centers, smart toasters printer cartridges that report back to Canon how much ink you used. Uh, yeah. And then stop you at 33% ink left. Right. I'm trying to print in black. I'm sorry, I'm out of cyan. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so it's not just your imagination. The Raspberry Pi 4 and pretty much all Raspberry Pi uh, equipment is kind of in short supply. Uh, this is both according to his blog as well as the RPi Locator website. Uh, you can kind of see an aggregate right here. Um, are they in stock? There's one Pi uh, CM4 <laughs> 2 gig with 32 gigs MMC and Wi-Fi available. And then everything else says no. And that's in, is that in Canada? CN? Uh, Canada. No, compute module. Raspberry Pi no, 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 CM4. No. At the store. Oh, Seed CN, Studio. yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, CN. It's either Canada or China. CA is usually Canada. Oh, yeah, CN's maybe usually China. China. Yeah. But, yeah, US, UK. Who knows? Seed Studio might be China, might be Canada. Yeah, that's China. I don't know. That's China. Okay. No, Google says it's China. There you go. See? CN's usually China. Um... So yeah. So there you go. Um, it's Eb in China. Eben Upton, uh, the uh, CEO of the Raspberry Pi, Raspberry Pi Foundation, uh, has said that they are working on building back up stock. They are working on producing 150,000 units this quarter uh, and nearly 500,000 units next quarter compared to 250,000 units in the entirety of 2021. Uh, so they are very much hoping that stock picks back up and they are focusing a lot on the two and four gigabyte modules, not so much on the eight gigabyte modules because those are kind of outside the scope of uh, availability for the less fortunate, which is where the Raspberry Pi Foundation focuses a lot of their efforts. Um, they focus on getting computers and technology into the hands of people who might not otherwise be able to afford it. Uh, or developing countries, or tinkerers, or things like that. Uh, and the 8 gigabyte module model, while it's very popular for people like me who want to run it as a file server, or an octoprint server, or a retroarch box, or whatever else, it's not their best-selling model by a long shot. Right. Um, nor is it the best-selling model in the compute modules, because the compute mod modules are plugging into things that don't need a lot of RAM anyway. They're plugging into to tablets and controller boards for drones and file servers and things like that. So yeah, if you're if you're wanting one of the higher end models, there's not a lot out there. And there probably isn't going to be a lot out there in the near future. But hopefully a lot of the mid-range stuff, the two and four gigabyte CM4s and Raspberry Pi 4 Model Bs, uh, maybe even the Picos will start becoming available again. Uh, so we can only hope. Um, yeah. But no, it's not your imagination that you cannot buy a Raspberry Pi right now. Really, no one can. This kind of feels like uh, Fry in Futurama when he says, uh, no one drives in New York. There's too much traffic. <laughs> uh no one yeah. can buy a no one can buy no one can buy a raspberry pi they sell out too quick <laughs> yeah exactly yeah well what's funny is i was reading some of the comments on that post and one guy was like i just bought 1000 units <laughs> right i was like thanks guy yeah i mean you know you're buying a thousand units maybe you're doing something useful with them so i'll give him that but right uh made me laugh he's mining nfts yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got to get his Ethereum so he can keep buying NFTs. 
He's just waiting for the next bored ape. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully soon we'll be able to start buying things in stock again. Fingers crossed. I did get an RTX 3090 at retail price yesterday. Wow. What does it feel like to be one of the elite? Who, baby. Um, You're like a graphics card one percenter. I, I really am. And it ticks me off because I paid $2,700 for my Founders Edition 3090. Uh, so it just goes to show how how bad the market is right now that getting getting a 3090 EVGA XC3 at only $1,730 feels like a win. <laughs> right? Wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm still at a place where talking about on a personal level, like like professionally, I was fine with dropping a hundred thousand dollars on servers. Like, did it all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, signing off on two hundred fifty thousand dollar transactions. Like, that was part of my regular job. On the personal level, spending a thousand dollars on like single pieces of hardware that was still never <laughs> right. like. Um, like I had acquired some nice gear over the years, but I was always a generation or two behind and and I would look for the absolute cheapest unit that I could buy. And that followed all the way up through uh, my Threadripper 2950X. I bought that CPU used for $600 and that was the most money I'd ever spent on a CPU ever. Um, probably among the most money I'd ever spent on a single component ever. Uh, and all of a sudden in the last year, I've bought, a 6900 XT, I've bought a 3090, I bought a second 3090, I bought an epic uh, 7601 32 core chip for $700. I bought the board to go with it for 500. I bought 256 gigs of DDR registered ECC memory for 750. Like all of a sudden it's like adding up and, and it still feels so incredibly weird that this is my job now is I get to buy stuff to tinker with all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and people pay me to do it well how boring would it be i mean you know if you couldn't continually experiment and buy new gear right. and mess with stuff and tinker like what are you doing then you know right if i'm not having fun then why am i even doing this um, right it's a lot of fun. Speaking of which, help fund my hardware addiction. Join yeah. the Patreon link is down below. That's the key. You guys are the key. You watch our videos. You uh, you join us on Patreon. You super chat us. I'm going to have to start doing uh, a Keep Rhett's Family Fed. Little Sarah McLaughlin in the background. Yeah, we're gonna have to real pull on the the for, sympathy strings for, here. For just a dollar a month, you can feed a family of three. Yeah. In the arms of <laughs> we all, you know, we can do beans and rice, but for how long? Right. For really? how long? And is that any way to live? <laughs> exactly. I mean, look around, guys. Is this a beans and rice kind of place? You're making me look bad. <laughs> right, you need to take the artwork down and just just leave the wire behind. What, you don't like my uh, I, my? Ikea... I'm saying I love it, but you, but I'm having a hard time selling this right now. 
Okay, my bad. <laughs> my wife put it up so that she could look professional. Could you get like a just... like a grease stain down one cheek or something? Like, just go Why? like. What's happening? No, no, I said, could you like? Oh just grind, yeah. Grind yourself oh, you up want me to look, like get yeah. a little Oliver Twist going right, on? Right. Please, sir, I'd like some more. You want me to look like you know? I yeah, I could do that for sure, mm -hmm. for sure. Like net guy wants me to go back to the raggedy old. Here, wait, I think I still got it right here. Here's my old one. I don't even know if it'll fit. <laughs> yeah, I got to get the ratty wind cover. There you go. I love that it's ripping as you're putting it on there. No, no, it was already ripped. It's too small to fit. I've had to explain this on the show many times. It was too small to fit the microphone, so I ripped it. Is that a problem you have often? Yes. Okay. I ripped things. <laughs> uh, speaking of ripping things, uh, SpaceX is ripping customers a new one with a brand new premium plan that will only cost you $500 per month. That's a 500% increase over the existing speeds. Uh, Starlink, for those who don't know, is SpaceX's slash uh, Tesla money daddy, whoever, Elon. Uh uh, his vision of a wireless internet future where you can be free from the bounds of existing conglomerates and instead be bound to a different conglomerate. Uh, not that I'm not trying to get Starlink service here. I totally am. I'm on the waiting list. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, up from the standard... Uh, speeds of 50 to 250 megabit per second and an upload of 10 to 20 megabits. Uh, they have essentially doubled that uh, and actually tripled uh, on the low end uh, from 50 to 150 as a guaranteed minimum up to 500 megabit per second for a download and between 20 and 40 megabit per second on the premium plan for an upload. Uh, this privilege will cost a lot more than their standard service, which is just $99 per month and $500 to start up. Instead, you will have to pay $2,500 for hardware and it requires a $500 deposit. But if you are that much in need of high-speed internet and don't have any other options, it's still a hell of a lot cheaper than Usenet. <laughs> I can tell you that much. So this is being sold as the high-performance antenna uh, and you can pre-order it now if uh, that's totally your thing. There you go. I think I need to get a referral code for Starlink because we talk about Starlink a lot on the show. Not, not. Yeah, we do. Not a lot, but it comes up in a lot of shows. I should say. Yeah, I I have been seeing that it's. I mean, obviously, part of the. You know, uh, part of the condition of being on starlink service you know now is that like it's not going to be like a 24 7 type thing because their constellations aren't completed um but i have been seeing uh, a lot of conversations on twitter and stuff just about how the service fails to live up to what was advertised, especially for early adopters and stuff like this. What? Yeah. From a test? Yeah. No. No. 
<laughs> I know. I know. I didn't need to say it, but I did say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's interesting because you can go back and like watch my evolution of like enthusiasm for Starlink over Talking Heads because mm-hmm. like I'm pretty sure I was on the show when like Starlink was like first announced yeah. and then it was like it was launched and then it was uh, you know I don't know and now I, I've come kind of come full circle on it where it's like you know I'm glad that it could be a good service for people that uh, need access but you know I don't know. Who knows? Yep. So far out of my hands that it really doesn't matter. <laughs> but it would be interesting to get your hands on it, see how it works. That's right. Yeah. See how it performs. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious myself. I mean, the upload speed is nothing to get excited about, especially only twenty megabit per second. I no. I have fifty and I still would like a lot more because it still takes sometimes upwards of ninety minutes to upload videos uh to both YouTube and Flipplane. Uh, and I'd like it to be faster than that. I'd like it to be more efficient. I'd like to be able to hit upload and 15 minutes later be be able to hit publish, but that's unfortunately not the reality I live in. Even with the fastest in-home from Comcast, Xfinity, Comcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do we even talk about this next one? Um, God, I don't know. Is this like the NFTs of? Yes. Well, years? well, this is this is the Facebook ish. This is the metaverse. This is the digital life. But what really pains me is but the it's name a digital Centra Land. <laughs> Have you seen that? Yes. Yes. Like I said, how do I even talk about this? with a straight face. I I don't know because it is so absurd. Yeah. It is laughably absurd. Uh laughably absurd but also somewhat How, How fast people latched onto this stupid idea of the metaverse. Why can't they latch onto good ideas? this fast do you remember when futurama got on the internet for the first time yeah and and they literally like plugged cables into the back of their heads and uh let's search the web yeah it's over there uh yeah right that's the metaverse like and then he downloaded we've evolved from from uh you know the simpsons did it first to now futurama did it first we we've gone that much further in technology uh that I just don't know. I don't know how to talk about this. Miller Lite, I'll I'll just read the headline and we'll go from there. Miller Lite is turning virtual cheers into real life beers at the Meta Light Bar in Decentraland. Which isn't a place. It's a made up space in the metaverse, which is either in virtual reality or not. But you can go to a virtual bar, buy a virtual beer with actual money, cheer someone, and then maybe eventually get an actual beer for your virtual beer dollars that you spent. How do you maybe actually get a beer in real life for your virtual beer money? Uh, 
How does that happen? Is it in the article? I don't know. Hold on. Uh, this gets me. Welcome to the Meta Life Bar, the first ever brand hosted bar in the metaverse and the only place you'll catch Miller Lite's big game ad. If it's the only place I'll see the big game ad, otherwise known as the Superb Owl bad, or ad, uh, Superb Owl, there we go, because uh, I can't say the other word. Uh, <laughs> uh, then it's not a big game ad, is it? If yeah. the only place I can see the big game ad is in the metaverse in a place that doesn't exist, not watching the game from the metaverse bar, then it's not a big game ad. You're now Animal Planet's dog bowl. Yeah. Like, it seems like a better <laughs> investment to buy ad space on Animal Planet during Superb Owl Sunday than it does to buy metaverse ad space. Yeah, that's a good point. I love this line here in this uh, in this article. Miller Lite has a long history of imaginative advertising, both in and out of the quote-unquote big game. By the way, why the hell is the big game... Miller Lite spelled Bud Light wrong, because those are the ads that I remember. Yeah. <laughs> why is big game in, uh, in quotes, though? Like, we all know what the big game is. Why do they have to put it in quotes every single time they mention it? Because of the... Like, it's every single time. No, I like... know. It's because you have to essentially give credit to the fact that you do not own rights to the Super Bowl. Um... And but you still have to call it by an official name because it is a proper noun. Super Bowl oh, is a proper God. noun as the name of an event, but you cannot use that name of an event in print or in advertising unless you pay yeah. royalty dollars for it. And I get that, but like why the but quotation because marks if, every time if, because so if you funny. capitalize big game without giving credit, then you have. <laughs> Uh, essentially misused the noun oh, God. and are subject to trademark laws. Like, like it is so convoluted. Well, you know, they say that Miller Lite has a long history of imaginative ad advertising. I argue that the Superb Owl has a long history of imaginative advertising, so much so that this journalist uses big game in quotes. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, apparently, yeah, I don't know. What, what's hilarious to me about this whole thing is, uh, so yeah, you you can you can be the first to catch the the big gay ad in the metaverse, uh, and to celebrate the premiere of their ad, the Meta Light Bar will have limited quantities of exclusive wearable Miller Light NFT swag. Uh, so like when they say this this is what's hilarious to me exclusive wait, wait. wearable can i wear that in world of warcraft right well i'm i was really hoping to wear it in call of duty so everybody knows that i drink miller light right teabag me right i mean i'd rather i'd rather be teabagged than drink miller light <laughs> well i mean uh so you were you were wondering how you convert virtual beers into real beers. Well, let me read the following paragraph. 
Before and on the big game, go virtual to get your real in italics. Uh, Sunday football celebration paid for by Miller Lite with virtual cheers for real beers giveaway. It's easy to enter. Visit the Metal Light Bar in Decentraland via MillerLite.com slash Bar. Pour yourself a beer from the Golden Bar Tap and follow the prompt to instantly learn if you've won. From February 7th to February 13th, an average of 10 patrons daily will win $500 cash. Real, not crypto. Uh, to stock <laughs> in real life game day parties with great tasting Miller Lite and more. Stop to bring... Stop by to bring the complete meta light bar experience and beer home. So. Stupid. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. And I certainly don't want to live in the metaverse. We found a way to make things that are stupid already even more stupid. By monetizing stupid. I mean, we were already really good at monetizing stupid, but it's rolled back onto itself. Like, uh, there's something that it's extra stupid to me about having to explain when you win $500 cash that it's real cash, not crypto. But like, in order to... Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Also, look, okay. I love that they had to to specify that it was real cash and not fake cash like crypto also, in the metaverse. Okay. What it, what is this website? PR PR Newswire. Yeah. Are you familiar with this website at all because yeah, they one thing they uh write opinion pieces on press releases. Cuz one thing that really pains me this is stupid. I'm getting into the weeds of stupid. Or here. are that no? Sorry, they are a promotion company. They are a PR firm. Well, I hate them. <laughs> uh, Tell them I hate them. <laughs> the the Futurama Write quotes them a are letter. just there. <laughs> I think there's a Ron Swanson take in here too. Like I'm going to write them a letter to say that they suck. Uh, I don't know the quote though. Sorry. But they say an average of 10 patrons daily will win $500 cash. Real, not crypto. Right. From the metaverse. To stock, quote, IRL game day parties. Right. They used the worst gaming acronym of all time. Right. IRL. I hate them. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad. This could have been a good, like, no, it could have been. Like, I, mm. like I said, I don't even know how to talk about that. I don't. It's stupid. Your idea, the metaverse is stupid. Yeah. Having, and here's, here's the thing. Look, I, I read good. Okay. To celebrate the premiere. You have limited quantities of exclusive wearable Miller Lite NFT swag for registered Decentraland users. So exclusive like, limited quantity of again a digital asset. Right, that's your digital asset. But what's weird is like they don't necessarily specify that it's a digital which, asset which, either. Well, you know it's a digital asset because it's where in the metaverse, and but 
don't necessarily say that's that. That's implied because you're visiting it via the metaverse and they have... I, I get that, but you're also winning real cash. Right, but they had to specify not crypto there. They didn't say you win weir- real wearables. You're really going against the grain when I said I read good, Jeff. I know. <laughs> and context matters. It does matter. I just think it's stupid. I think it's stupid that they have people reading this and it's like, now you you and your avatar can enjoy Miller time. <laughs> Get a wearable NFT. I, but the problem is this, is that I, I literally envision a world where somebody buys a Bored Ape NFT, they go to their favorite screen printers and print it out thinking that they have a one-of-a-kind T-shirt. When in reality, they sent their screen printer a MF and JPEG. A Monday through Friday JPEG. A Monday through Friday JPEG. A 40-hour-a-week JPEG, Jeff. Yep. Uh... I, I just envision, like, look, you're right. This is my problem. Sure. How's that dragon's milk, Rhett? We, it, it's out. <laughs> I, I wish I had more. Uh, the whole thing's stupid. I hate mm-hmm. the metaverse and I hate NFTs. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to say about it. Right. If this was the Matrix, sure. If this even was, I'm even going to pump the brakes and say, I was going to say if this was virtual reality, sure. Even if this is virtual reality, screw it. This is stupid. Yeah. There are a million and one better and more efficient ways to monetize something than whatever the bloody hell Facebook is trying to do right now. Yep. I know Facebook just announced Meta like three months ago. Why is all of a sudden every company going Metaverse capable? Like, why is every single company at every turn saying we're going to be hugely invested in the Metaverse? Like, you don't even know what the Metaverse is. They didn't even know what NFTs were. Right. And here we are. Well, see, you can sell people something without actually selling them something. And they're like, I'm in. Like, that one's easy to to explain. But when you have technologically illiterate, you know, accountants being like Facebook, you guys know the rich company, Mm -hmm. they're making this thing called the metaverse. You guys in or out? It's Decentraland, baby. We are decentralized. You guys like that word, too. Right. Uh, It's all in the blockchain and the ether. Yum. (laughs) There's no rules in Decentraland. Right. like, come on, baby. The the government can't reach us there. Right. We can sell virtual beers to minors. Huh? <laughs> Actually, they specified you have to be 21 and over to enter the virtual metaverse pub. Oh, God. They did. They How are they going to enforce that? How are they going to enforce that? No idea. No idea. You click, are you 21 and over? <laughs> right. <laughs> Bigger news to get to. Bigger, yeah. more relevant, actually makes sense news. Uh, uh, please, thank God. Let's yes. get to something normal. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Uh, the decompilation is complete. 
And we knew that very shortly we would be seeing a PC port of it. Well, it seems that sooner is now uh, with a developer showing off the PC port of Ocarina of Time in full widescreen 1080p HD glory, fully working, still with bugs. It's got some bugs to work out, but you can compile your own Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time binary for Windows PCs today. Heck yes. Yes. I started working on mine. I got Visual Studio installed. Uh, I don't have Windows subsystem for Linux on the PC that I do that stuff on. So I started installing that and then just kind of gave up because uh, I had other stuff to do today. But uh, yeah, hopefully... Uh, Within the next day or two, I'm going to get this compiled and I'm going to play Ocarina of Time on my PC with an Xbox One controller like God intended. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, this is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool use of, you know, uh, I guess, I guess, I guess reverse engineering of uh, these old games. And I don't know if you could call it like an archival e uh, effort. I, I really don't know what the purpose would be other than to do it and have it and play it on PC. Um, but it's it, it's super cool nonetheless. And I, I think in a way it kind of could potentially bring Ocarina of Time kind of to a whole other generation. Right. Uh, I mean, we've all seen the, the Mario 64 port, yeah, which is exactly. fantastic. Uh, Ocarina of Time is, is again, one of the highest ranked games of all time as far as being a phenomenal game. Uh, and is kind of required playing if you are a fan of the Zelda series. Um, I am super I mean, excited no to see what comes out of the port because just getting the port is also kind of the first step. We also know that uh, there have been high-res texture mods for the N64 ROM for a decade. Uh, and so people have already been trying to make The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 4K and, and gorgeous looking, yeah. but they've been confined within the 25 megabit space of the original cartridge ROM. You can only do so much, even with expanded memory, when you're trying to emulate it with eight megabytes of video memory with the expansion pack and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, what happens when you have the full capabilities of PC to go behind it with the full source code available and uncompressed assets and everything else? Like, you could really start to have some fun with a lot of these texture packs and, and mods and everything else. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite things that they did with... Uh, uh, Mario 64 was integrating Mario Odyssey movesets and Cappy and Cap Captures and whatnot into the Mario 64 source code, um, which is just, it turns the entire gameplay on its head. Uh, and it's so much fun. And I absolutely love it. And I can't wait to see, let alone the PC port, but what people do with it once they have full access to everything. Cause that's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This is pretty cool. Uh, do we start I, the timer now for Thomas, the tank engine or. 
like it, it, like is there a replacement patch for Epona? Um, like I'm wondering where that particular one will fit in. <laughs> I can't wait until yeah. it's also uh the the moon from Majora's Mask. Uh, <laughs> oh, and so no, no. So you got the moon from Majora's Mask that that rises up during the night and and pull cycles, and then you have the Rick and Morty sun. <laughs> Oh, there you Coming go. Coming over the yeah. horizon. Like, I, I want hilarious. one than the other. Dawn of the third day. <laughs> well, I guess that's Majora's Mask. But you know what I mean. Right, right. But there is so much that you can do with this now that it's fully ported to PC. Uh, and I'm here for it. I, I can't wait to give this a run through. Yeah, I think it'll be great. And, uh, I mean... It's literally one of the capstone 3D games up there with Mario 64. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the, yeah, there, there's so much that goes into it and, yeah. and we could sort of dissect things like dungeon design or whatever, but I think what really sets Mario 64 and even Legend of, of Zelda Ocarina of Time apart from a lot of games is if you've ever found the videos of their development space when they were making these games, the first thing they did was put their animators to work making the run animation feel as good as possible. Yep. Yeah. Uh, These games aren't just notable because they're good games. These games are good games as the first generation of 3D platforming and 3D adventure games. Uh, and they set the bar so high. They did. They, they're, they are absolutely works of art. Uh, and, and in a time when these types of games didn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we take so much for granted, you know, games like Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild and you diverge out of the Nintendo architect or Nintendo ecosystem and you go to games like Skyrim and Fallout and you go to, um, gosh, some of the other, like Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto. These games were unthought of before the 3D revolution, which started kind of in 95, 96. I mean, you yeah. could you could date Origins all the way back to Wolfenstein 3D and Doom and, and games sure, like that. Sure, maybe, but yeah. Um, Doom was the first one to utilize, like, a, a, a Z-axis in, yeah. in anything, um, you know. And so there were so many different new avenues that Mario and Zelda 64 were, were exploiting that we hadn't even come up with yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at it that way. And uh, yeah, it, I, I was looking today because I think today, maybe tomorrow is like the last day of like the Steam sale that's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, it's the beginning of February, payday, you know, got a new job that pays me the big bucks. Um, and uh, I, so I was wage, the baby. Woo! Yeah, you know it, you know it. Uh, not even Oregon's minimum wage, yeah. sadly. Uh, <laughs> no benefits either. <laughs> Dental's on me. Um, but yeah, uh, like I was looking at all these games and 
you know, I've talked about this before on the show where I, I really do have like choice paralysis when it comes to a lot of games and it's not, I, you know, I, I can appreciate a lot of games for Screw what it, they... I'm just going to play Morrowind again. Well, for sure. I can appreciate a lot of games for what they do and what they try to do, what they are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't expect every game to be the same or to bring the same things to the table. But I was having a hard time choosing like, well, what game would I want to buy and play? Because you 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 get in the habit of scrolling down and looking at the reviews and there's one negative review that says this, that, or the other thing. You're like, well, is this for me? And I started thinking back to this era like Ocarina of Time in particular, where I was like, remember when this was just like a quintessential game and you just played it right. because it was like the Nintendo 64 What else game. are we going to do? <laughs> right, exactly. And you could ca- like, and it was good. It's either and this or ha- Parappa the Rappa. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, okay, so there were some duds, but... <laughs> But interestingly enough, like, you know, even back then they managed to pack hours and hours and hours of gameplay. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how much time I sunk into Ocarina of Time. And even though you could probably blast through it fairly quickly, mm-hmm. you still spent a lot of time just screwing around. Yeah. And you were happy to do so. Planting all nine of those magic beans, you know, right. like totally did. R- running off and getting the big Goron sword. Right. Oh, that was essential. Um, it was crazy how involved that was for a game like that back then. It was like, and it was like time. I remember there was like there, a timer. You had three to like, timed quests inside of yeah, that. Yeah, you had back to like to sprint to across the map. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Just interesting to think back to those days. Like Majora's Mask is kind of that that you're you're on this sort of like artificial clockwork little setup that they have mm-hmm. but the amount of gameplay that they were able to jam pack into this game as you sort of like maneuvered into like okay well you've defeated this dungeon rewind let's go back you unlock this rewind the clock now go into the dungeon do this that mm-hmm. like the amount that they're able to pack into that is just really good design yeah i don't know it's interesting yep. we're spoiled these days and yeah, we're we all, and we're also taken advantage of with games like Call of Duty from Activision and right. Well, they found out that games. Don't you guys, don't service, you guys have phones? Right. Yeah. Don't get me started. They kind of got the idea that uh, that games as a service was a better financial decision to make. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you have subscription service games and battle passes and season passes and cosmetics yep. and loot boxes. Tur- and... Turning your one-time customers into recurring customers and, and like, more I was importantly gonna... into recurring revenue. Right. I, I was going to buy a game on Steam today and it was on sale from $60 to $30. And like a review was basically like, well, the game's great. It's like expands on the first one and all the ways that it should, but don't play it without the DLC. But then the DLC was like an extra twenty dollars right. even while it was on sale. And I was like, What? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't that just be a part of the game? You know, like and it wasn't even that much content. It right. wasn't it wasn't really even yeah, it was just so bizarre to see the way that they decided to do it. Now I I, I just pined for the days where you bought a game. Remember when we completed. bitched about $3 for horse armor? Yeah, that was really the start right. of it all. We really can probably blame Bethesda for right. it all. Right. 
I mean, in Morrowind, they shipped the game with a numerical error that spawned tons of angry cliff racers. Mm-hmm. And became canon. <laughs> and it became canon. Exactly. Why can't they just make their mistakes canon? Why do we have to have DLCs and there's patches a, for days? Th- there's a funny, funny tidbit of Final Fantasy trivia as well. In Final Fantasy 2, there is a door overflow exploit uh, that you can take advantage of uh, in one of the dwarven towns in the underworld uh, where you can clip off the map and essentially wrong warp to memory addresses that don't exist. And uh, it's called the 64 floor glitch. Well, actually, this was known about all the way back in like 1993 and made it to an official strategy guide as canon uh, for uh, someone's like uh, Zeromus's, uh 64 floor or 64 stair tower or something like that. Like a void, like there was a whole paragraph written about this glitch, but it was written in a way that was canonical to the story uh, of, you know. Right. Yeah. Death yeah, to all a... who may enter here kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. Oh, and it's funny like, when things like that can sort of take on a life of their own. Yeah. Like, that's what it used to be about, you know? Somebody brings up a perfect example of the glitch that lives on an infamy, which was the Civ Gandhi glitch. Oh, yeah. Uh, where he was just like ended up being completely aggressive yeah oh he's so nice let's give him like a five aggression well what happens when he gets a negative six he goes 255 yeah exactly (laughs) buffer underflow yeah yeah it's it's fun when stuff like that doesn't get caught i mean i don't know maybe Maybe people felt differently, but I think in the lens of hindsight, I think it's charming. An underflow, overflow, and lack of caps are the reason speedrunning exists. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you look at, um, you, you go to Super Mario 64 and the, and the backwards long jump. Uh, you can long jump so far forward and so quickly forward, but there's a cap on how fast you can go forward. Well, if you spam a long jump in the opposite direction, there's no cap on how much speed you gain. You just keep gaining speed every time you touch the floor. And so you can propel yourself up through the door before the door even spawns a trigger to open the door. Uh, and on and on it goes. I mean, look at, uh, and things like that are taken advantage of in Breath of the Wild with with numerous different glitches for, uh, gosh, what's the, newest one that was discovered with uh you can hold a bomb and replace the bomb with your shield and then you can hover across the entire map at like ludicrous speeds going backwards but you have to jiggle your joystick and not let it go neutral otherwise you'll just drop from the sky like that like <laughs> yeah speed running is fun i love watching it i i can't do it or i've never like devoted myself yeah. to wanting to speed run but i i freaking yeah. love agdq and watching all their events all through the year and yeah yeah 
it's it's kind of interesting too. Another another glitch, uh, and recently I don't know who it was, but somebody started doing some stories on this, and it's worth talking about since we're kind of at the end of the show a little bit. But um, is that uh, like uh, it was pretty popular to talk about on Twitter? But like the Fox Treasure glitch in Skyrim, mm-hmm. did you ever see that one? Yeah, which was just like a really interesting artifact of the way that they negotiated pathfinding. Yeah. And the way that uh, anyway, the the glitch the glitch is that the uh, if you would follow foxes in Skyrim, and this is like an urban legend of Skyrim in the early days, like you follow foxes and they would lead you to treasure. <laughs> and in a way, it was true because the way that they wrote the foxes' pathfinding was that it would try to flee from players by crossing through a number of you know set. Uh, I, I, I guess spaces, mm-hmm. but due to the way that they handled spaces in Skyrim, which were these series of triangles on the map, the more things that there were to render, the busier the map got, the smaller the triangles got. Mm-hmm. In the more rural places, the triangles were much bigger. And so the way... <laughs> Fox would be like, well, I have to run 100 spaces away. But their programming led them to where the triangles were smaller and they could pass through more triangles faster. And so you follow the foxes and naturally they would lead you to like bandit camps or little ruins complex or complex areas that had complex more geometries. Areas. Exactly, where there's smaller triangles, smaller spaces. Yep. Um which is just it's just interesting that like 10 years after the game came out somebody like did the research on how that kind of that urban legend yeah the ai AI of foxes right right the ai of foxes and apparently there's something about butterflies in skyrim too i don't remember that but i was my favorite thing in skyrim is that the inventory for people have to be attached to objects not people and uh so the khajiit caravan has a chest that's underground and accessible down in it's not solitude what's the uh there's another town there's one of the snowy towns uh that has a chest that's just like just under the level of the the ground under a set right. of rocks and if you walk over there you can just raid the chest and take from it Right, And it's not owned inventory because it's in a chest, but it's the inventory that the Khajiits will sell you in their caravan. Right. (laughs) Yeah, see, it's stuff like that that's interesting. It's, I don't know, I like it. It shows you how much hard work and how much thought and effort goes Mm -hmm. into making these games. Mm -hmm. And the Bethesda, the Elder Scrolls titles in particular, are, are very unique as far as like the sort of adventure rpgs go because they are these highly detailed curated worlds that are not easily easy to to really replicate mm-hmm. that's why you really have elder scrolls and like the modern fallouts i guess are really the only thing that are comparable and sometimes you get things that are kind of close uh to what they try to accomplish with like kingdom come deliverance and like maybe a couple of other titles but like there's a reason that games like Dark Souls has really taken off as far as, I mean, there's a whole sub-genre of games now, Souls-like. But why isn't there Elder Scrolls-like? You know, it's just not easy to do. 
You have a lot of man hours, a lot of time going into these things to create these highly detailed, highly curated, highly polished worlds where you could go into virtually every single building on the map. Um, well, remember Daggerfall? Like, let's predate Morrowind and talk about right. an economy of scale. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's actually what's really interesting. And in like the, you know... Uh, you even compare Daggerfall talk- to modern games. And it's like Daggerfall is is unquestionably the largest map that's ever been made. Second, probably only to No Man's Sky. And that's even debatable because 90% of No Man's Sky you can't explore because it's between star systems. Right. And you, and you could do it, but see, this is this is the thing, and 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 in the mythical, the ever mythical Morrowind script uh, that I've written for for Craft Computing someday, um, I actually talk about this quite a bit because Daggerfall, like I haven't played it as extensively as the other games, but what's interesting is like when you leave the sort of like rendered settlements and 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 event locations like you get into like procedurally generated terrain and it's like all kind of now you can literally go from one town to the next to the next to the next to the next by just walking through the wilderness but once you're in the wilderness i imagine it's much like no man's sky where there's not much to do you can walk right through some of the terrain but that doesn't take away from the technological accomplishments of it and uh I think where Daggerfall shines the most is where the storyline takes you because some of it is very interesting. The locations are the most interesting. Um, the events are very interesting. Morrowind expands upon it, takes all of the best parts by Daggerfall and goes, what if we didn't have this highly detailed procedurally generated world, but we had this small curated world where you could go to above this dresser in this person's house in this town and there's definitely a sword up there um anyway i'm getting into the woods instead of like an acorn (laughs) right yeah you know daggerfall is a great technological accomplishment not taking that away yes it's just uh it's one of those things where i love it because they're like how big can we make this game and they did it yeah um but like some of those other games, a lot of the world is empty. There's not much to do unless you're sort of following some of the scripted things that they have. Um, and, you know, you could almost say the same thing about Morrowind, but I think part of the cool mystique about Morrowind is the, the world is so small. And, you know, some people be like, well, viewing distance is kind of a, a sham in that game. But it's like, yeah, but it also makes the world feel so much bigger than it is. If you turned off the fog and you just looked across the map, you'd be like, that's it? <laughs> that's it. Really? <laughs> Um, but you don't think that well, you could be like Nintendo and just turn the fog off all your games when you port them over to Switch, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could talk forever about Marwin, but uh, we're gonna save that for you know a full video someday, yeah, eventually. Who we'll knows? make it happen? Who knows? Anyway, it is 10 past the hour. I think that's a great time to call this a show. If you like this one, make sure to hit that thumbs up button. There's 107 of you watching and only 69 likes. While that is nice, I'd like it to be higher still. Uh, if you like the content you see on this channel and want to help support us in what we do, consider joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As an exclusive bonus, you'll get access to the Discord server where you can chat with myself, Rhett, John, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and take part in the awesome community that hangs out over there. Uh, subscribe to Craft Computing if you haven't done so already. Uh, hit up the craftcomputing.store to grab yourself some sweet merch and start drinking like a pro. Join us every Wednesday night at Epic Pacific Time for the latest in beer and tech news. And I think, as always, we'll see you in the next video.
We'll see you there, guys. Later Cheers. On.